Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome to our episode today. Today you have all of us regulars. I'm Annette Bechtold, and we've got Samantha Molliver, Ron Bergazzi, and Scott Mwiam, our regular um, crew for you. Today we're going to start tackling um, some of the, the pieces that both employers as well as just from a whole healthcare landscape, one of the things that, that we're seeing um, culminate into one of the the biggest issues, both from a societal standpoint, also from an employer standpoint, that that warrants a look as we're looking at this, what's affecting the healthcare landscape. So within the first year of the pandemic, a third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety and depression. In a recent seminar, uh, Jim Herder, who's the chief workplace scientist at Gallup, he indicated mental health-related issues are up four times since COVID. Hand in hand with that is the uptick in stress and worry. Also ups up our deaths of despair, which is a new designation that came from a prominent Princeton economist, Anne Case, and um, Nobel laureate, Sir Angus Deaton. So I, I thought that was such an interesting term, this deaths of despair. And so these are basically kind of suicide, suicide in slow motion, if you will, like liver failure from high alcohol consumption or drug overdoses or those types of things. Um, so all of those are up. So as we think about this trajectory and then subsequently the pandemic and what that's done, do we think, what do we think? I'm going to throw it out to the group. Is Does this uptick continue? Do we see an insight to the escalation of this? Scott? Yeah, so um, I think that one of the big challenges that we have is, and 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 I think we've all experienced this to some extent over the past eighteen months. Is it feels like we take one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, three steps back, mm-hmm. and there's this overarching feeling that while we may be living our lives more than we were eighteen years ago and doing more things than we were when the pandemic first started there's still this uncertainty about what does the end of the pandemic look like? Will there be a bright line end? When will that end come? And even though, even those who are, are really out there living their lives and doing and living like normal, which, you know, I understand a lot of people are, um, they, they have to be asking themselves that question as well is what, when do we get back to normal? And I think anytime you have uncertainty on that magnitude, um, that's impacted literally everyone to some extent mm-hmm. in this country and, and not just in this country, uh, worldwide. It's impacted yeah, everyone right. to some extent worldwide. That it's a, that's a reasonable bet to think that the, the mental health strain is going to at least stay the same, if not increase. Um, so it's something that is that needs to be on uh, the radar of employers, that needs to be on the radar of governmental agencies, that needs to be on the radar of communities and families and everyone, because there is just so much uncertainty right now. And it's, uh, 
it can be overwhelming. And, and, and we see that, uh, you know, I see that with my, uh, some of my coworkers, I see it with the, the clients I work with. Um, you know, I, I obviously worry, I have a, I have a nine month old and I, and I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, what, what the next year will bring as, as he starts to get older. So, um, yeah, I, I think that this is something that we really need to be cognizant of uh, when we when we work with our clients and uh, when we try to help them understand the health of their population. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't even know what if we would get back to normal, it's going to be that new normal. And then also kind of just like what habits or new practices have we formed during this like pandemic? I mean, as you mentioned, kind of the Annette, like the death of despair. So through alcohol, I mean, it's kind of one of those like memes or catchy thing of like alcohol consumption has gone up and it is an addictive thing. So, I mean, kind of going forward, have people kind of develop these bad habits and then how easy is it going to be for them to break once we're quote unquote out of this pandemic? Mm-hmm. So but both of you bring up an interesting point. We talk about uncertainty. And so historically, uncertainty creates anxiety for a lot of individuals. But if we really think about the pandemic and we think about the business environment, think of the things that have happened, that the home and workplace have become one and the same for many during a certain period of time. Uh Number two, I can deal with uncertainty for things that are repetitious things I've experienced before, and there's some uncertainty, mm-hmm. but here we haven't experienced this before. So th- so there's this dark black tunnel of what that uncertainty may or may not may- bring. So it's it very uh, understandable how the increased anxiety is, is there. And businesses probably need to think about these different challenges that they face as you can't find someone to take care of your child. Or, you know, I can't afford to have somebody or they can't staff. The daycare can't staff anymore. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things get get uh, add to things that businesses need to understand their employees are dealing with. And I think you guys are bringing up some really good things. So I, and when I think about it, statistically, um, you know, it, the in that study, they, they looked at these deaths of despair and some from 1995 to 2018. So we're talking about even before the pandemic, anywhere was even an inkling of anything, right? Those deaths went from 65,000 to 158,000 in that span from 95 to 2018. So they more than doubled, right? So we were already on this trajectory of these maybe self-destructing behaviors, if you will, right? So, you know, kind of thinking about that and then the exacerbation that comes from this weird, like Ron, you were saying, this weird environment that we're like, wait, we don't even know how to operate. Like, I, I, this is so outside of the realm of what we've ever experienced before. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to juggle all these things I never had to juggle before. Um, and so we have a lot of people not equipped to handle that because there's been no precedent for that, right? And there's been no experience for the people around them either. So it's not like they can get really good advice from somebody else. So I feel like that's huge. And this is adding to um, something kind of uh, that's also on this uptick, which is, you know, the the look at people who are thriving and people who are not. It's interesting. So as I'm coaching, you know, different people and having these discussions about it's so interesting how different people are responding to the pandemic or their situation. Um, 
the people who are who are are like okay well then we're gonna do this and here's what we've gained from it and this has been such a positive thing for me and my family like you you go from that to people who are like i can't take one more day in these four walls you know so uh and and you have this huge range of emotions um in there but all of those weigh whether whether they're new things introduced all of this is weighing on people and so we're in the gallup studies that they're seeing the number of people thriving compared to people who are um you know who are struggling or suffering seems uh, the pandemic has has uh, really um, seen an uptick in the people who are suffering. It's kind of, you know, a lot of this has killed the human, you know, the great human spirit in many, for many people. So do we sit and wait? What, I mean, what happens um, where, where's sort of the point of no return? I guess I'm asking, you know, what do we have, do we need to be acting, doing something now? What do we do in this uncertain time? I don't think there's ever a point of, of no return. It's more of an evolution of, uh, you, you know, the continuation of things that, that now are mounting up probably as a larger percentage. Because I remember uh, probably 30 years ago, we used to have a segment of healthcare utilization that we attributed to the worried well. Where oh, people, yeah. Yeah seek out treatment and they're really trying to address some emotional issue more than they are anything else so i think we have to be a parent because you know we don't want it to get out of control i suppose would be the answer to that from my standpoint i feel like we need to bring that term back that worried well because most people are doing pretty well given the circumstances but there's things we could do to help them you know cope better does that make sense or to feel better about their circumstance and and putting that one foot forward i don't know what do you guys think well i i you know we're not without historical precedent for america recovering Mm -hmm. moving on continuing to thrive i mean when i you know my grandparents all lived to be 97 98 years old i still have a grandmother who's 97 who was born at, at right before the depression and and grew up uh, in poverty that is unrelatable mm-hmm. to me completely un, unrelatable now yeah. th- what was interesting was her family was not initially poor they lost all their money uh so they took a major step backward and uh and then right at the tail end of the depression entered world war ii my grant her husband my grandfather you know served three years in germany in europe mm-hmm. and uh, and, and came back and went on and, and saw unbelievably terrible things and experienced unbelievably terrible things and came back and uh, ended up having a successful career. And when I talked to my grandparents about their experiences in the Depression or in World War II, they they have this great perspective of, of look, you know, of course, there's psychological trauma that lasts for a lifetime going through those experiences, but they never really sweat the small stuff. And they, they always had a, a very deep sense of gratitude that I was always very, not envious of, but I always admired. And I hope that if there's a silver lining from this experience is that I, I do have more conversations with my family about how I miss them. You know, my parents who I would take for granted and, and, and call when I felt like it, but now I see them more often. Or I do have a greater sense of gratitude when I do see my friends and, and meet up for dinner or whatever it may be, um, having gone through the past 18 months. So I'm hopeful to your point that it's not all bad, right? That the, that, that the experience we will 
we will emerge from this with the understanding that we are incredibly adaptable and that we do have the ability to pivot and continue to thrive and continue to move forward. But also that, that if you walk away thinking that you have a year to give or that there's time to waste or that, you know, taking, taking friends for granted or your job for granted or uh, your, your economic situation for granted. Um, I, I hope that, that we do get some positive out of this and that, that people do have that, that. It's not all negative reflection on the past 18 right. months, I think is what I'm, what I'm hoping to say. And that there is historical precedent that, that we do move forward and that we do continue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are economic trends that aside from the pandemic and those kinds of things, that we can think about some economic trends that are undeniable where generational uh, support is going to increase because the cost of elderly care is just skyrocketing. Yeah. And it's yeah. not that affordable for many. So families have to take on those kinds of things. When you think about the pandemic. Yeah. We have we have friends where the individual who's concerned about getting COVID is driving the rest of the family crazy. And that family's not had to deal with that before. I mean, those. so I, I just think we need to be cognizant of all the economic and emotional things that can happen in times that are a fairly significant change. Yeah, um, I, I love that. You're right. And, and all of those things are... And Scott, too, uh, what you're saying, both of you, um, a lot of it is how you're looking. We, uh, you know what? The one common denominator across all time is that we all only have so much sand. And so what we choose to do with that time is totally usually up to us. Now, there are these extenuating circumstances that might have sort of derailed my plans about how I was going to spend my time. But it's it's having this outlook about, okay, so what can I do during this time that is that fits with wherever I'm going, you know, and, and adjust a little bit. And I think there are some folks that have maybe just had never thought about those things, right? They just were like going through the days. I just get up and do it again and do it again. And, do, and now I don't know what to do because I haven't thought about why I'm doing anything. So I think a lot of that plays into it as well. So now I think about this in our role in the healthcare space and in helping employers. And I think about, okay, so here's this whole nother new element of things that are going on with workers. They're juggling all this family stuff. They're trying to figure out how to work from home while kids are going to school from home and, you know, figuring out, do I drop the kids off? I can't drop them off today. I I don't know what to do there. Um, Or I've got, I've got to take care. I've got to be a caregiver. Now I got to go for a rapid test because I was around somebody. I mean, there's all these other elements that are making things, adding more complexity to just the day to day. So, what do we think, you know, you know, and then, of course, you know, we were just talking about vaccines and all these other things that employers have to deal with. What are some of the keys when you think about it for employers and what businesses have endured and what they're really going to have to recalibrate to? Sam, to your point, what's the new thing? What do we recalibrate to going forward as an employer? What becomes important? That's a good one. It's a yeah, tough one, right? <laughs> and this is the I mean, problem, right? <laughs> if, you, if you, you know, I thought back because obviously we're on the heels of, of 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I remember during that occurrence where, uh, and somebody had this in a speech where, where people were holding the hands of neighbors and everybody was one. 
and and like everything else, things wane. And so part of it is is probably the almost bifurcation of society now. You're either on one side or you're on the other side. Um, somebody's mad about masks or somebody's mad because you're not wearing a mask. I mean, it's those kinds of things that add to this. And I don't know the answer for the companies, but I think awareness is probably the first step. Key, first thing, yeah, yeah. Just understanding that you have all these perspectives for sure, and you're trying to create a harmonious workplace and get that work done, right? Yeah, yeah I, think- I think also too, like just on perspectives, but also like competing priorities or things that are coming up. I mean, me being a working mom, I have two little kids. And so, and my family doesn't live in the same state that I do. So there are competing priorities outside of work, but I'm also still very actively engaged in my job. I mean, I think there's a stat that one in six women have not returned to the workforce after this, you know, what we're in. And so there has been a decrease in kind of also not just in women, but in open positions, you know, in unemployment as well. So in understanding and yeah, we have different perspectives, but also other priorities or competing priorities going on outside of the work life. And I think maybe not to assume that we know, I think that you've got some poll data and, and I think data tells us things about what's changing that we may not, recognize as a change immediately. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll grab those, but go ahead, Scott. I know you're Yeah, no, I was, I, I mean, that's I, in the same vein. I, I, I always try to, when I work with a company to, to get them to a position where they're not guessing, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't want to guess and we don't want to assume. And there are avenues for figuring out what your employees are dealing with that are very useful data points for creating a, a, a not just a benefits plan, but a worksite culture. And, and for instance, one digital is incredibly effective at, at surveying its employees and asking them, how are you doing? You know, tell us, tell us, do you need support in X area, Y area? Um, and they leave open questions in the surveys that they take uh, of the employees. And they do it on a consistent basis, but more importantly, one digital actually acts on the on the responses that they get from the survey and you see it manifest in their policies and they're very flexible they're adaptable and they're not set in stone and they're constantly revisiting it another another opportunity that i think often gets overlooked that employers are engaged in all the time as part of a on-site wellness program is leveraging nutrition counseling for learning about employees um you know, the most effective on-site wellness program I had ever participated in was on-site nutrition counseling. And I can tell you the first session I had with the nutrition counselor had nothing to do with, uh, here's here's your 1200 calorie plan scott you'll lose weight if you do this so yeah i, I didn't need to come here for that advice uh, i don't think i would have even gone to that meeting yeah no, just... it was more it was more like tell me about your day what are you dealing with yeah. you know um are your friends on board with you losing weight do you feel like you're supported by your spouse do you know how to cook do you have access to a car um what do you think is the number one stressor that leads you to gain weight or leads you to eat more than you want to and and for me it was things like i feel like I have, uh, I have a lot of pressure on my social calendar. I feel like work, our, we were in a social business. I feel like I was going to a lot of events that I felt like I compelled to go to and they, they are usually unhealthy foods or whatever it may be. But it really gave me clarity on what was going on in my life that gave me the real tools to be able to navigate it. Employers do this on site. It's a major opportunity 
to collect information about employees who might be having a hard time and figure out what's going on. So big picture, if you if I were to give one message to employers when it comes to concept, topics of well-being and thriving is don't guess and don't assume there's no harm in asking and there's no harm in in, in, in putting the ball in the employee's court to tell you, hey, here's, here's what I'm dealing with and seeing if there's a reasonable way to make their life a little bit easier, make them more productive for your company. Yeah, I love that. But yeah, it's not a one and done thing. You should, you know, like said, revisit it. Things exactly. change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so there's some really um, uh, interesting statistics that Gallup has on. Um, they they've done a lot of work on well-being and thriving, and um, but some interesting ones that point to the workplace that I think are ones employers need to consider. So, 76 percent of full-time employees claim feeling burnt out at work at least some of the time. of employees say they're worried during work the previous day. They worried about something. They were in in a state of work. 43% say they experienced stress in the workplace yesterday. So, and 25% say they experienced anger the previous day in the workplace. So, when you start to think about stress and worry, and this builds to the anxiety, right? But it also builds to outcomes, et cetera. And I think the other thing, too, is as an employer, why, why do your folks feel burnt out? Where does burnout come from? And so that, I think, is a huge focus that could be looked at moving forward. Some of it, I think, probably is circumstantial as people, Sam, to your point, are coming back to the workplace because they've now had a different look and said, maybe I don't want to return to the workplace. Maybe I, maybe I can't, but there's a lot of people saying, I don't want to. Maybe we don't need all the disposable income and the stuff that we used to do. We did without it for a year. Do we care? What's the trade-off? So there's some purposeful decision-making going on. And there's also like, I don't have a choice. But I do think that this look at burnout and stress in the workplace and where are they experiencing that? And as an employer, are we contributing to that? I think is a good place to start. And, And as an employer, if we think probably in the context of what can we do for our employees to improve certainty or, or, or reduce uncertainty and things like that? I mean, I was at a client yesterday and they're in the food production business. And this is probably not the place to bring this up because it'll start a stampede. But at least in this region, there's going to be a shortage of turkeys for Thanksgiving. So oh, if you no. want your turkey, yeah. And and it's caused, yeah, it's caused by a lack of ability to get the people on the farms to help produce the turkeys. Well, so you think about that, and then all of a sudden, that's going to hit the press shortly. Mm -hmm. Well, you got so now if you know a third of my November revenues in a company of five hundred are from turkeys. What are the employees thinking? So, you, in other words, that's more uncertainty. Are they are they going to lay them off? Are they going to keep them? I mean, not to mention the stress this is putting on the owners, right? This is like you yeah. know, run on toilet paper again. Are people just yeah. going to like start importing turkeys? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, if anybody takes anything from today, it's to go buy your turkey early. <laughs> <It's> turkey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just really quick before we end, because I sort of want to 
just ask about this question. You know, as an industry, we've focused on helping employers with wellness. So is it enough? I think it's how you define wellness. Like, is wellness just defined as like physical health or is it more of that holistic approach of kind of well-being? I, I think the industry's the former is what the industry has been focused on the last 10 years mm-hmm. trying to sell that concept just the of physical health, the physical piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not taking medications, not having to go for treatment, et cetera. That's really where the focus has been. So do we see that, that focus changing coming forward? I, I think that it's a piece of a, of a broader puzzle that companies yeah, are adapt- yeah. yeah, that companies are adapting to. Uh, 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 it's a piece of a larger puzzle that companies, especially in the markets that we work with, are really starting to take a broader view towards. So, um, physical health, oftentimes, and and I are you know I, I would argue this all day long is 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 many times a manifest manifestation on your life generally. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, not always, of course, not always, but but in the aggregate at a population level, when you're looking at thousands or millions of people, that 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 the variables we encounter in our daily lives can ultimately dictate uh, some of our health outcomes. So um, they're interrelated, but 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 importantly for a company. Now is the time. Now is the time to win the competition on culture, and now is the time to win the competition and take advantage of employees who yeah. are taking a good, hard, long look at their employer. You know, for instance, um, I I am looking at this winter in Philadelphia, knowing that my son's daycare is going to close at some point. That there will come there will there will come a point where they have to shut down for two weeks or they have to send him home for a week. It's going to happen, and I'm trying to. It's like serenity now from Seinfeld like I'm trying to just like get myself into space to say look it's going to happen this is we got to pay the piper and we got to figure it out but I often try to put myself in the position of some of the employees that work for my clients um, where they don't I don't know what they do if they're in that situation mm-hmm. right I, I don't know what they do so if you can be an employer that's going after employees that work for that historically have worked for companies with inflexible policies if you can be the one with a little bit more of a flexible policy and navigate that situation where in Philadelphia we're going to be dealing with it when it gets cold outside and people start getting sick we're going to have this situation where they have to shut down it only takes one person showing up on site to have that happen in a daycare if you can be the employer that's a little bit more flexible you might win the talent battle right you might win the battle to, to fill the seat in your organization so the physical well, wellness programs that we've done historically the health risk assessments the meetings with the dietitians all that type of stuff is a bit important component but this cultural conversation about how do we be the employer of choice for a tight job market right now where we're competing for people to yeah. come work for us um i think that that's that's only going to become more important. Yeah. Great point. So great segue. So um, now, you know, thinking about that, we have to now kind of back up and say, okay, this is one component of many in this, uh, Sam, to your point, the overall well-being of our employees. So it's beyond just what they're doing at the moment in the workplace and the job. And there are additional factors that we have to consider about overall what is the effect on employees and productivity 
of a number of areas. And so I think that's what that's what we'll come back and tackle, you know, one by one, these different areas of well-being. What are these uh, focus areas to help employees thrive? Um, and what can we do as employers? So join us next time. We're going to start to dig into these five different areas of well-being and really talk about what does that mean and what are some of the challenges for employers and what are some of the things that they can focus on to help employees and to Scott, to your point, kind of win that that uh, battle for you know the best talent and and the thriving business. So, thanks everybody. Thanks for your time today. This was great and a great start to a big topic. So, um, we will uh, talk to you next time. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.